The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the second season premiere of Star Trek Picard, The Stargazer. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Very well, thank you. Folks, be sure to... <laughs> I didn't forget that you called me on that before. But folks, be sure to mm-hmm. share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. I want to tell you about another show on the network that you're sure to enjoy called Secrets of Technology. Find it at sqpn.com slash technology or wherever fine podcasts are found. I want to make sure to remind you to stick around to the very end of the episode. We're going to have some of your feedback, listener feedback on uh, previous episodes. So be sure to stick around for that. Before we get to talking about Picard, though, there is a little bit of news. There, there's a there's a new Star Wars movie coming out. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Star Wars. Star Trek. There is a new Star Trek movie in uh, currently in the early stages of development. That's right. They are finally going back where they went before. Apparently. Maybe. Well, Maybe. to be clear, be. <laughs> they're beginning the negotiations with the actors to go back. Right. To. The JJ verse. Yes. This so Paramount is entering negotiations with Chris Pine, Zach Quinto, Zoe Saldana, Carl Urban, John Cho, and Simon Pegg to come back for a fourth of the rebooted Star Trek Enterprise uh, Star Trek um um movies. Original series. Yeah, that's yeah. the new series that JJ Abrams began way back in two thousand was it nine? I think nine. It was? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and um, I'm not from Missouri, but I'm from near there, and you'll have to show me, because they've said all this before. What they're saying is that they've got a bunch of really exciting story ideas that go in directions we've never seen before, and we're going to put them together and have a great script and start filming by the end of the year. And I'm going, really? (laughs) Um, Because, you know... A couple of years ago, you were saying the same stuff Mm -hmm. and you entered negotiations with Pine and Hemsworth and you couldn't make it work and the whole thing fell apart. So, um, so, you know, I know you're doing the happy JJ, you know, let's rally investors talk, but um, I will see. Yeah. So the last movie was 2016 Star Trek Beyond, which was meh. Uh, at least mm-hmm. in my opinion, we'll, we'll have an episode talking about that sometime in the future. Uh, in 2018, they had uh, um, S.J. Clarkson, who is known for making Netflix's Marvel series, Jessica Jones. She was signed on to direct a sequel that would have brought together Chris Pines Kirk and his father, who had been played by Chris Hemsworth pre-Thor in 2009's yep. Star Trek. Uh, but that fell apart. And then we had the bizarre Quentin Tarantino <laughs> R-rated Star Trek movie that they were going to do. Which, that's one. That's yeah. one that I'm not utterly opposed to seeing, mm-hmm. um, because Quentin Tarantino is actually a very good filmmaker. He and yeah. I and I. It would have. I don't think it would have just been the Hateful Eight or um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood set in the Star Trek universe. Right. right. Um, it. 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 He would have merged some of his sensibilities with Star Trek sensibilities. And and that would be interesting to see to me. Yeah. And it's said that he is a very strong Star Trek fan. 
that you know that it's something that's been part of his life is his whole yeah. life you know part yeah. of him is his whole life so he might have actually done a pretty good job yeah unlike will ferrell doing land of the lost um clearly he did not understand that show i i refused <laughs> refused to see the movie just based on the clips yeah uh, but quentin tarantino is actually a quite a good filmmaker he, yeah. he his films are intense, but if he's a lifelong Star Trek fan that, you know, really has thought about and internalized and knows the show, it would be interesting to see. It's kind of like Deep Space Nine mm -hmm. wasn't exactly Gene Roddenberry's vision, but that didn't stop it from being better. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it, in some ways, it's like the Orville. When we heard that um, Seth Green, um, not Seth. Um, McFarlane. McFarlane, thank you, was making the Orville. We're like, oh no, Family Guy in space. Uh, but it wasn't. It was. It was very good. And someday it may return. <laughs> June. It's supposed. June is supposed to come out. But. Yeah, uh, that's a whole other discussion. But yeah, Tarantino's Trek was supposedly they were going back to the um, the pl the gangster planet, the planet that that mo that uh, modeled oh, yeah. itself mm -hmm. on uh, the twenties gangsters, uh, which would have been interesting. But that's he's a uh, you know. Who knows whether that'll ever get made? And then there was also a 2019 uh, announcement about uh, Noah Hawley, who made Fargo and Legion, that he was got a mo uh, movie that he was going to do, and it all just got, you know, kiboshed. But I think with the the uh, a the a, the MCU, and then with the Star Wars universe and all this other stuff that they've been get going on, I think Paramount is saying we've got this property, we and we can't let. Um, have it just be Paramount Plus series, we really should need to develop movies. And so I think that's where that is, is they, they're going back to trying to get movies made. But uh, Yeah, but if J.J. Abrams is involved, it's just going to be another Star Wars movie, just like the first two Star Trek movies were really Star Wars movies. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, just, well, yeah. In the, yeah. In the, I mean, the current list of the, the producer and one of the directors was involved with WandaVision. Um, another director was involved with Captain Marvel. So I think we could be seeing something more along the lines of an MCU Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Several people from the WandaVision were, are involved. Someone from Avatar 2, someone from Captain Marvel. So yeah, well, it's more one super, of those. Super, superhero Trek. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Let's put it that way. I'm, I, I, I am a hopeful person. And uh, so I'll be cautious. Well, I am too in general, but it's <laughs> I, I, I've never even made it all the way through the third Abrams era movie. Yeah, I think I've just, seen it I just I lose interest in it. Yeah. Even I, though I, it's by Simon Pegg. I, I thought, oh, finally, they got Simon Pegg to write something. He'll do a good job. And it's like, meh. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't mind beyond. I don't mind it. I, I, I personally like it better than the second one, just because the second one is a retread of Wrath of Khan, just not doing it as well. Yeah. But it's, it's, yeah. And I don't mind the retread of the Wrath of Khan. It's the not doing it as well part that I yeah. mind. Yes. Yes. The, so. uh, with Cumberbund, Benedict Cumberbund doing his, mm -hmm. his Khan thing. Uh, Dr. Right. Watson wasn't even on hand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. So that's, uh, that's the news. Let's get to uh, the big, discussion today which is the picard series return oh does, you mean the thing we're here for okay yeah. yes this is the actual reason we're we're doing this um so in general like i, I just want to you know kind of talk about how i approach this this season i've Dude. decided ahead of time that unless they shove it in my face my head canon is that the whole thing about picard becoming an android didn't happen <laughs> 
that Picard is oh. not dead, there you uh, go. <laughs> but that he's actually still alive and he's not a Pinocchio. He's not Pinocchio. He's well, a real boy. They, they didn't shove it in your face, but they did mention it. They did mention yep. it. Yeah. But uh, uh, it's it's just my headcanon because it really annoys me that they killed Picard. In the, mm-hmm. so if, by the way, if you haven't seen season one of Picard, sorry, but the spoilers, you shouldn't be listening to this at this point. Uh, years long enough that yeah. you got spoiled. Right. It's that simple. So uh, did, were there any overarching things you wanted to say about this before we get into the nitty gritty and the recap of this episode? Any like sort of big thoughts? No. Okay. All right. Let's get yeah, into just the, one, yeah. one thing I just I, I kind of hope is that we see Picard's character kind of shift back to the Picard we know. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be one of the critiques I have about this episode is we don't see that yet. But not that you expect that. But right. Yeah, let's uh, put a pin in that because I want to talk about that. So, But Jimmy, could you give us a recap of what happens in this episode? It's been a couple of years since the first season of Picard and the gang from La Serena has scattered. So we spend some time catching up with each of them. For our purposes, what's happening with Robo Picard is the most important. He's gone back to France and is having fun blowing an opportunity for a romantic relationship with his Romulan housekeeper, Laris, who is now a widow. He's also Chancellor of Starfleet Academy, and he's recalled to field service when a Starfleet ship detects a newly opened hole in space-time. The current version of the Stargazer, which is captained by Cristobal Rios, shows up and detects a signal coming from the hole. The signal is decoded by Dr. Agnes Girardi, who is Rios's newly ex-girlfriend and has been invited on board the ship. The message, when it's decoded, says... Help us, Picard, followed by a formal petition to join the Federation. So Picard is sent to the Stargazer to see about negotiating with whoever is powerful enough to open such a hole in space time and see about helping them join the Federation. A whole bunch of other Starfleet ships also show up, forming an armada in case whoever this is isn't friendly. Despite the fact that the voices in the message were obviously Borg, Hmm. everyone is surprised when Picard hails the unknown uh, Federation applicant and a big spider-like Borg ship comes through the hole in space-time. The Borg insists that they want peace and to negotiate, they beam over their queen, despite being told not to. The Queen says they want peace, but first they need power, so she plays Dr. Octopus and plugs herself in and starts seizing control both of the Stargazer and the rest of the fleet. Rather than giving her an armada, Picard orders the Stargazer to self-destruct, and it promptly blows up. Afterwards, Picard wakes up back at his house in France, but he notices it's different than he remembers. Then Q shows up and says that he and Picard will be doing It's a Wonderful Life once more. And this is the end of the road not taken. Yes. The end. The trial never ends. It must go on. Uh, so um, the the episode starts with the old trope of uh, we start in media res in the middle of the action. And then we get to a point where we, you know, 48 Flashback. hours before. Yeah. And, yeah which is. This I, is- I hate, that. I hate to see it. it's becoming kind of a tired trope. In, yeah. You know, when, when you really kind of first saw it in like Battlestar Galactica, that they really started using it as a regular thing. And it was, it was, okay, this is interesting. Okay. They're doing oh. it again. Yeah, they're doing I've, it again, again. I've seen this for a lot more than before Battlestar Galactica. Well, that's, yeah. that's the one where it became probably, in my opinion, the best known, you know, mm, for yeah. doing it. But yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, Fringe did it and X-Files did it. And there's quite a few others that that yeah. did it, but it just, it's just, it's kind of become tired. I wish they would find another trick. 
Well, I, I'm, I don't it mind it. I, I don't mind it. It's you need to capture the audience's attention in the first few minutes. And if you don't have uh, if you need, especially for something like this, where you need to back up and it's been two years and we need to visit all of these characters. It's going to be a while before, you know, to show them in their current situations before we can build up to a real drama point. And so showing where we're going can be can be reasonable to me. It was a pretty dramatic action. In fact, it's it's interesting how we start by following the security teams that are being called to the bridge. We don't start mm -hmm. on the bridge. And mm -hmm. so we follow them in the uh, turbo lift and that's when they get there. And then we start to see who else is there. We don't get a clear look at the Borg though. So, we, I, but we get a I, hint. I, I also really like as the security people are running through the corridors, the computer is describing, you know, the status of the ship and it says inertial dampers offline, which is something we periodically hear. Well, mm -hmm. so what an inertial damper does based on its name is mm -hmm. it dampens inertia. Um, and, um, and, because if you're traveling at these super fast velocities, um, you need something to like when the ship stops to keep you from slamming into the wall in front of you and becoming a, you know, human sure. pancake. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and so inertial dampers are very important. And we occasionally hear about them going offline. And this time when the computer says inertial dampers offline, the security people are like slammed into the wall next to them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yes, that is what would happen if the inertial dampers failed. Exactly. So uh, and then, yeah, we have the, well, we'll find it was a Borg queen there on the bridge. Uh, she's not credited in this episode, but it's neither. It's the uh, actress is neither Alice Creek, who played the, the queen in um, First Contact, First Contact and in uh, Voyager. But uh, and then there was Susanna Thompson, who also did other Voyager episodes as the as the Borg Queen. It's not her either. So I forget who it was. And I, had the, um, I thought I saw uh, her, her mention somewhere. But they, she's, the been in the, she, she's been in the news, but um, they haven't given us a clear look at her. In fact, when she shows up as the Borg Queen, she's in this full body suit that covers all of her face. Yeah. And right. Agnes looks at her and says, that's new. <laughs> yeah, that was that was good. But we will be seeing her out of the bodysuit. Yes. Right now, she could be Kosh under there. Right, right. <laughs> Battle hmm. on five. So uh, then we jump back 48 hours to the Chateau Picard. We're hearing uh, the Rolling Stones, Time is on my side. There are a lot of Not by hits. the Stones, though, by somebody else, if I recall Yeah, it's, it's covered by somebody else. But yeah, right. It's originally a Stone song. But we have a lot of hints, almost too cute throughout this episode of time related stuff about, you know, that uh, people say things like, Oh, I'm almost, uh, you know, we're out of time here. Or, you know, it's like you're going, yes, I know it's, this is going to be a time travel season. I well, just and, and almost Picard even gives a speech at, at Starfleet Academy about how time doesn't give you a second chance and all right. the, you know, and, and time is the time final is frontier the, is the real final know. frontier. Yeah. Yes. And those are, he's going to get, time is going to give him a second chance. So uh, speaking of time, it's 48 hours earlier and we're yep. at Chateau Picard and we're watching the grape harvest. Yes. And I like how they handle it because like in season one, they showed these flying drones over the, over the vineyards mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they were like, I guess, watering the grapes and things like that. Um, and now they are again flying. They have these drones flying over the vineyards, but they're transporting 
the clusters mm-hmm. of grapes off of the vine. So they're, <laughs> it's transporter grape harvesting. Yes. Sir. And then we see uh, Robo Picard pick up a bottle of uh, of wine that has just been newly filled and a label is transported onto the bottle. Yep. So they're they they've really thought about how could you use transporter technology right. for more than beaming down to planets. Well, and this is a yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, what, it's what, also what, no. Go ahead. Sorry. sorry. What, what isn't clear to me is how are you aging that wine? <laughs> yeah. Because if if you're if you're, I mean, you don't put the wine in the bottle to age it. Right. You no. put it in a big vat. And you age it in that because as part of the fermentation process, it's going to release gases and you don't want it bottled because, as Jesus told us, you put you put uh, new inner tubes in a bald tire and the bald tire will pop, according to the cotton patch translation of the Gospels. (laughs) And um, and so so are they transporter processing this this grape juice into wine on the spot or and if so, Dude, it's replicated. Your whole yeah. selling point is this is not replicated. You could replicate wine anytime you want. If you're selling this high expensive stuff, you're, the wine snobs who are buying this are not going to be happy that it's replicated. Uh, yeah. My headcanon was that they were just showing different parts of the process. Like they're 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 emptying the barrels in to bottling for the next one. at the same time as they're bringing in the harvest and fermenting. And that's, mm. that was my headcanon. Now, the labels show a vintage date of 2401, so we are now in the 25th century. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's two years uh, after but, the first season, which was 2399. A uh, year and a half. Because it well, states in yeah, there that Javon yeah. has been dead for a year and a half. But yeah. 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 So, well, but that's within the two-year time frame. We never saw Javon die. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So somewhere somewhere in there. But yeah, about a couple of years have... have uh, taking place um we have this you mentioned like this this scene with laris who is you know hinting broadly very strongly to picard basically I, I like telling it him to be at the beginning of that scene so it's they've done with the harvest they're sitting down to have glasses of wine on some lawn chairs and picard uses a hebrew salute before they drink he mm-hmm. says lahayim which means to life mm-hmm. and she uses an Irish drinking toast. Yeah. Slancha. Yes. And, which means like to your health. And I liked how the Romulan is using an Irish toast here. Because she's played by an played Irish by actress. An Irish, Irish actress, yeah. yeah. Well, the Romulan has an Irish accent, so it's really yeah. <laughs> appropriate. <laughs> the Irish Romulans. Um and with this this discussion of why Picard has never settled down with love and Duty and, has kept him moving. She is so totally putting the moves on him. Yes. Oh yeah. And he is cluelessly lots of, blowing it. Lots, lots of meaningful looks. It, but you know, it, it it continues to bug me that we we don't have the Beverly Crusher. Like mm-hmm. she's like this presence in this room that no one acknowledges. Like the Beverly Crusher was a major part of Person, yeah that of TNG in his life and uh, this unrequited romantic uh, connection and why don't we like i don't know i mean maybe we'll get that in the this season but it's just really well, and, and that was a big theme of this episode was the 
you know, why is Picard lonely? Why is Picard alone? Mm-hmm. Why is Picard, you know, why is he not, you know, had a relationship, a serious relationship and so on. And then it's a big part of this episode. And so, of course, we get the, the moping, introspective, regretful Picard throughout a lot of it. And they hint this all goes back to his childhood. Yes. That yep. he suffered childhood trauma. And we get a flashback to his childhood where he's something like, I don't know, eight years old. And his he there's this room. It's it's kind of circular and has glass conservatory. Maybe yeah. I don't yeah. know what it is exactly. I mean, yeah. it looks like you could, yeah. it looks like except they don't grow plants in it. Yeah. Um. And but uh, he like spends time in this glass room, and his mom comes there and says it's going to be our own private world. And in the present, we see it's all shattered. But his mom was like making it a a private fantasy safe space for him as a child, because it turns out apparently his father is a, is a spousal abuser. Yeah. Right? And um, and so he had to endure um, watching his mom get beat up and stuff and like they, that. They apparently imply that something worse happened at some point. Yeah. And and so he might have issues relating to the opposite sex given what he saw happen to his mom or something yeah so this is a a, a sort of um a common thing you see nowadays it's the tra- character development by dealing with trauma you know we yeah. see that in you know tra- the traumatized character thing and this was picard basically throughout all the movies like as soon as the movies begin we have picard dealing with the trauma of having you know ptsd from being locutus and mm-hmm. now it's we he's kind of dealt with that, I suppose. Last season was the uh, end of that. I would argue that, and we'll talk about this later. But there's they're, a scene later on where it, it's pretty clear he hasn't, or at least gonna, the way they portray yeah. it, that he hasn't. They're going to keep milking that tea. tea yeah. yeah, and then they're yeah. they're going to we're going to add on top of it this childhood trauma thing as well. And it's mm-hmm. I, I, this was something that you were saying earlier, Father Corey. That, can we have the Picard of TNG back? Because yeah, it's <laughs> that's the one we all is, enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> this we Picard was beloved because he was, you know, he was confident. He was a leader. He was sure of himself, more or less. I mean, there were obviously vulnerable episodes and things like that in TNG. There were things like that, but it, it didn't diminish him to be vulnerable. Yeah, this just seems like he is frail. Like he's, you know, that that confidence is completely gone. Yeah, you get the the the, the confidence speech in front of a. Uh, uh, the academy, you get stuff like that, but not, not the Picard that that people loved, and, I, and that's that is one of the critiques of well, season one is that the Picard we saw in season one was not the Picard of TNG, and and of course as years go on, people change, but you don't see the flashes of that old Picard. The point where that comes out most significantly for me is towards the end. And we should, by the way, back up and talk about what's going on with the other characters. But yeah. towards the end, when Picard gets to the Stargazer, mm-hmm. Captain Rios tells him, okay, so you're Admiral here. You're this, you're the highest yep. leader. What do you want us to do? And they have this conference where they talk a little bit about it. And then um, once it becomes obvious that it's the Borg, Rios and Seven of Nine both become massively insubordinate. Yeah. Um, and Rios is like, I'm not having a Borg on my ship. And it's like, dude, that's not your call. 
<laughs> right. exactly. um, when they want to trans- transport over and negotiate. Um, and Seven of Nine starts a firefight without authorization on the bridge. Mm-hmm. And and so they're both becoming the action characters at this moment in ways that are inappropriate, while Picard is standing around helplessly watching the situation, doing nothing. Not, and, not even standing and, around. At one point, he's cowering on the floor in fear. Yeah, yeah he is. Um, and and it's not like they they don't if they want to communicate that these other people are stepping up because Picard has become ineffectual. They could have communicated that and they didn't. It's not mm-hmm. it's they're just stepping up because they're hotheads who are insubordinate and Picard doesn't r- regain control of the situation. Instead, he's he's just watching stuff and unfold in front of him. And eventually it's seven of nine that tells him once they realize what the Borg Queen is doing, she's stealing the access codes for the other ships in the Armada. And she says, Jean-Luc, we can't give him we can't give her an Armada. And uh, it's at that point that Picard says uh, activates a self-destruct. Mm-hmm. And he even then he's got a we have to juice the drama a little bit more. So he hesitates before giving the code to authorize it. And this time we have only a 10 second countdown. <laughs> yeah. None, They've none learned. of that five minutes <laughs> stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, but and so they they want Picard to be the action guy who gives the 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 self-destruct command because he is the senior officer present. But. They don't portray him as the guy in charge. And mm. I, I I found this unsatisfying. Yeah. Uh, they should have either not had they should have either had him completely fold and be unable to deal with the situation or they should have had him lead through it. But this kind of hesitation and letting other people take initiative, which you should be in control of. And not controlling it and getting mm-hmm. into this worse situation. I, I don't like that. Right. Yeah. It's it's the writing is thin. And this is this this is where I'm I'm hoping they're gonna try to get that this whole deal with Q, this whole test with Q is gonna get him out of that. But I, I'm I'm just afraid that they're not based mm-hmm. off of discovery and, and other things that you know shows that are out there now. We're gonna be stuck with introspective, regretful Picard for the rest of the series. Yeah, I'm optimistic we it won't be I mean we're going to have some introspection obviously from the way they've set this up but I don't think mm-hmm. it'll reach discovery level togetherness. No 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 not <laughs> not by a long shot. I hope He's not. He's lord. <laughs> Deliver yeah. us. Uh so you mentioned that Picard is chancellor at Starfleet Academy and he goes to give a speech there and uh we we see our first um character that we're catching up with is Elnor the uh the the Romulan uh, who is uh, sort of his um, Picard's um, his mentor, and he's now the first fully Romulan cadet at Starfleet Academy. So, uh, mm-hmm. and he's been assigned to uh, the Excelsior. The Excelsior yep. that uh, um, Musiker, Commander Musiker, is the first officer. Yeah, and they yep. keep calling. I I wonder because they keep talking. They keep using the rank commander for mm-hmm. Rafi, mm-hmm. and but. Then when like they're hailing the Excelsior later, she's the one who answers. And I'm confused about is she just first officer or is she in command of well, the uh, of the Excelsior despite her rank? Yeah. Now, is the Excelsior a cadet ship or is it a full 
full ship. If it's yeah, the original. Where the cadets just serving <laughs> on the ship, you know. Yeah. Um, well, and it, it, it looks like, by the way, that it is. Cadet ship. Yeah. And it, it looks like when you, it, it, at least in my, my opinion, looking at the, when you see all the ships lined up, you see the Excelsior and it is the Captain Sulu Excelsior. It's still the well, same ship. According to the production designer, he said it's, it's actually a brand new, it's new, but not a refit Excelsior ship. And it's a, so it's got a new number. So they built okay. a new one. It's Excelsior 2, basically. Yeah. Okay. Also, Fair they make it clear that um, that Rafi had Elnor assigned to the mm-hmm. Excelsior so she could watch out, out for him because, as she points out, his absolute candor is going to get his butt kicked. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that, that is a danger for, for Rafi. Uh, I mean, for Elnor. Um, so, uh, so, so he's there. Uh, Picard oh. gives him a book. Yeah, by Spock, called The Mini and the One, which is yeah. about his experiences as the first Vulcan in Starfleet Academy or something. Yes. Um, although there was a Vulcan, an all-Vulcan Starfleet ship in TOS. <laughs> the Intrepid. Yeah, the Intrepid. So how did they, how did, how did... Maybe they was doesn't like... doesn't really make sense with Spock being the first there. Maybe Unless it was the Vulcan yeah. Navy, and they sent their own crew aboard a Starfleet ship but they didn't all go to Starfleet Academy. They just were were transferred over. Yeah, they, they, they're yeah. not very clear on that. And you know, maybe they meant. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say maybe they meant something like the first Vulcan in a mixed crew instead of a Vulcan yeah. crew. Who knows? But they didn't. That's not what they said, though. They said that he was the no. first Vulcan to go through no. the Academy. Yeah, which is implausible given that the Federation was founded over 100 years, like 100, right. 100, over 100 years before the original series and Vulcan was one of the founding worlds. Yeah. So they haven't had military responsibilities all this time. What is this? NATO? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> other ships that get named at this point are the uh, the USS Hikaru Sulu, named for our mm-hmm. favorite helmsman, and uh, the USS Grissom, which we is a ship, obviously a different ship from the one that was in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. That one is blown up to bits. But uh, they've yep. apparently uh, got another one with that name, and uh, so, and then we end with them going off and the and Picard leaving. Then we move to find out what's going on with Seven. She's now in command of La Serena, Rios's old ship, and she's got the help of a holographic. Remember, Rios has had holograms in the various crew positions, uh, but she's yep. apparently merged them all into one crew member, which was a mistake. She says. Yeah, yep. because he's he's a he, his name is Emmett and he speaks yep. in Spanish mm-hmm. and he's this big hairy dude and he is the tactical uh emergency tactical hologram. So he's there to fight and mm-hmm. he can distract and do things like that, but she has to turn the safety protocols off for him to become solid and start kicking butt. Yes. Um but he's because he's been merged with these other holograms um he has uh, one of them apparently had a subroutine to watch out for Cristobal Rios's mental health. And yes. so now he has this therapy subroutine where he's looking out for Seven's mental health and trying to give her counseling and life advice. And she can't get rid of his therapeutic routine. <laughs> I, was, I, was tr- I was trying to remember if that was the because last season we saw there was three of them or four of them. And yeah, uh, one of them was the EMH. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the one that had the. The therapy. No, there was the the entertainment hologram. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what it was. The one that had the the psychological protocols. Yeah, there was like an engineer and a um, and a, a pilot and a mm-hmm. doctor and Mister Mister Hospitality. 
Yes. Yep. Um, and I love those characters. I wanted to see more of them. I don't like this yeah. merged thing. Yeah. Maybe it was just too much for, for the actor to, to do all the different <laughs> ones. But anyway, uh, Seven is still part of the Fenris Rangers running around uh, doing, you know, do, doing good throughout the galaxy. I think that's their motto. And uh, But she's been boarded by pirates who are trying to steal supplies for, for people in need. And she uh, handles them pretty uh, pretty well, takes them out. And uh, and that, that's about that. We don't really do much, uh, except she ends up getting a... Uh, uh, a spatial anomaly that the the spatial anomaly with that the Borg ship is going to come through shows up right near her, which is a very interesting coincidence. Uh, and so that she's going to uh, be in the in the uh, neighborhood when the other ships show up as well. Mm-hmm. That brings us to Doctor Soji uh, Soji Asha, who is on Raritan Four, which is is this the Delton? It, it, Planet? It's not the it's not the Delton homeworld. It's apparently a colony that's inhabited by Deltons. Mm. Okay. Um, and it's the first time they've gotten significant screen time since Star Trek The Motion Picture, although there have been a few Deltons in the background. Yes. Um, but uh, but she's now doing a goodwill tour on behalf of synthetic life forms. So she's there and um, and as kind of a goodwill ambassador. Because they're no longer um, illegal. That was right, the big thing. Yeah. Because they're no longer illegal. So they want to build confidence in uh, in in. Sense won't necessarily kill you. Um, (laughs) And to prove that she won't necessarily kill people, um, she's learned uh, she's learned the local language. And and my thought immediately upon hearing her speak it was, wow, her accent is not good. (laughs) (laughs) Because even though this is supposed to be a foreign language, she's talking with an accent that does not sound native. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, it, it sounds like an American accent bleeding through. And mm-hmm. um, and I guess that's OK, since it's just even though really, if she's a synth, she should be able to. I mean, they allude to her rapidly learning this language because all she's got to do is download it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she able she ought to be able to do what Data did, which was like speak French perfectly with a perfect French accent. Um, but nah. Yeah, and that might have been something again, headcanon wise. That might have been something that was done on purpose. Yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, she did downloaded Duolingo, didn't have the great accent. But uh, so, meanwhile, <laughs> Agnes is is going with her on the tour, and Agnes is getting it, drunk it, at I the should, bar. I, I should say, unless it was a de- deliberate choice, which I kind of doubt, but it could be. Yeah, but unless it was a deliberate choice, it's bad acting because you this doesn't this language doesn't exist. You as the actor get to create. The accent. You can play it all kinds of different ways. Just don't make it sound American. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, yeah, like I said, Agnes is at the uh, at the bar getting drunk. And when she's hit on by a flirting Delton dude, um, which that Apparently must be- his uh, his oath of celibacy isn't on record. Well, only yeah. the ones in Starfleet have to take an oath of celibacy. That's yeah, the, I know. Yeah. But uh, but she fends him off by telling him she was recently cleared of murdering her most recent boyfriend because of temporary alien induced insanity. And that seems to be an effective deterrent. (laughs) So ladies, if you're ever bothered by guys in a bar would be for me, (laughs) just tell them that you've been cleared, cleared of murdering your most recent boyfriend because of temporary alien induced insanity. (laughs) I'm not actually sure that it was though. Alien induced insanity. I'd have to go back and watch the original, the first season, but I think she killed. My memory is she killed 
Dr. Bruce, whatever his name was, Maddox, mm -hmm. after um, out of ideology that she was convinced of. It's not like someone messed with her brain. It wasn't the Romulan influence on her, the Romulan spies influence on her? Yeah, she, she got whammied. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe then. Did it, did it out of okay. insanity. I'm not remembering it all then. Yep. Um, then we have, uh, we see Rios, who's now captain of the USS Stargazer, the ship that's the successor to um, Picard's original ship. And, and in uh, the 25th century, smoking is allowed on the bridge. I like uh, it. Of, of a Starfleet ship. I which like Rios actually, with the cigar. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. And, and he's got the lighter and he, he uses it. He doesn't yeah. smoke it a lot, but he's got it around a lot. And actually, this makes all the sense in the world because in the 25th century, they have nanites. Yep. You know, <laughs> any 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 temporary effect that tobacco smoke or other kinds of smoke would have on your lungs will just be repaired. Right. I guess, yeah, yeah. The, the repair would happen. Um, but but then again, they, they didn't take care of Agnes's drunkenness. She had to recover the <laughs> old fashioned way. So, right. Well, she could have gone to sick bay and gotten a pill. I think they, they yeah. have a thing that they've talked about. A shot. Yeah. Um, I have to say, uh, I, I know you're not into ships, Jimmy, but I, I ships mm -hmm. was one of my favorite things about Star Trek. And I, I love oh, I thought the, I thought about you. It's like, yeah. oh, Dom and, and Father Corey are going to talk about how much they like or don't like this ship design. I love the I Stargazer think... design. It's a cool, mm -hmm. cool design. I like the interior and the exterior. It was really nice. It, it, it keeps kind of the, the original design, but updates it. And yes. Looks a little bit sleeker and stuff. Yeah, it's got the four warp missiles. And then we see other ships that show up in the Armada that are from the uh, game, actually. It gets credited in the credits from Star Trek Online. So they're actually yeah. pulling some of the designs and bringing that game in, which is kind of fun and interesting. And a lot of those are the updated designs, like an updated Galaxy class and Miranda class and things like that. Yeah, we have, uh, see a Sovereign and that sort of thing. Yep. Sovereign class, yep. Um. So. There's, oh yeah, there's, um, yeah, well, there was something that happened, like a personal thing, but it's not really that important at this point, and maybe it'll be important later, so I'll bring it up if, when, if it, if and when it becomes important later on in the series. Uh, but the spatial anomaly has shown up. We have dozens of voices coming out of this spatial anomaly, and they, they kind of filter it out, and it's hundreds of different languages all saying, help us Picard. So that's the, that's the thing. Followed um, by the entirety of Article 15 of the Articles of, Feder of the Federation, right. which we're told, we never hear any of Article 15, but we're told it's the procedure for joining the Federation. Yes. Which... Which I had to laugh when they, they called it Article 15, because being in the military, those who served, <laughs> if you know the Uniform Code of Military Justice in the United States, uh, Article 15 is when you screwed up enough to get punished, but not enough to get a court martial. Right. It's Article 15 non-judicial yeah. punishment. <laughs> it's so, and that, that's when your commander can do. So I had to get a laugh as, okay, in the Federation, it's a good thing. In the U.S. military, it's not. Yes. Yeah. Brought before the mast. Also, uh, on the way there, um, we... Picard, after his speech mm -hmm. in San Francisco at the Academy, goes down to Los Angeles mm -hmm. and it's like back alleys in 25th century Los Angeles still look pretty ratty. <laughs> um, still back alleys. All, yeah. Although it, in fairness, it is a historic district he's in, so they may have kept it to look mm -hmm. like a 21st century alley and thus kept production costs down. I, but he's yeah. there to it's he's at address number 10. On Forward mm -hmm. Avenue. Ten So forward. ten oh, forward. Yeah. And this is where Guinan has her bar. And mm -hmm. um and he goes in and she talks about how um, you know, 
he gives her a bottle of wine from for her private reserve from Chateau Picard. And she says, well, at, with you pushing a century and me pushing several, I'm not sure we should be reserving anything, <laughs> and, which is a good line. And it brings up the fact that Guinan is, in fact, hundreds of years old, yeah. as as we learned from um, from uh, the Times Arrow two parter where mm-hmm. she was back in the 19th century with Mark Twain and Data. and um, and Picard comments on Elorians like her aging slowly. And then she says something very strange. I don't know if it's a, a joke or not, but she says, well, only when we want to. I've been aging to keep up. And and to cover the fact that Whoopi Goldberg is significantly older and has a very different body shape yeah. yes. than she did when she was on Next Gen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That That's... Uh, yeah, that's got to be how you cover, you know, people who are supposed to be hundreds, able to live for hundreds of years, aging visibly in a short period of time. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. we'll take it. Um, but they have this discussion about why he's always been afraid to love. And so we go back to this whole thing and, um, you know, I, and, I don't know. And in his fairness, he he says, I'm not and I have loved. But the rejoinder is, yeah, but you never settle down. And even right, then, right. he's trying to Welsh on that because he did in that inner light episode. But that's because you were living in a virtual reality, mental hologram world mm-hmm. and you didn't have a choice. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, so and then they yeah, they and then they toast and then they get when Picard gets home, he gets this, this uh, Starfleet Admiral shows up who wants him to because of the. Um, the spatial anomaly so, and his name being mentioned yeah, <laughs> prominently. So this, this admiral, this admiral, by the way, was a uh, uh, named Sally Whitley, mm-hmm. played by April Gra- April Grace, who was transporter chief Maggie Hubble in a couple of TNG episodes and DS Nine emissary. Oh, really? oh wow! Didn't know interesting. That. I didn't recognize you from that. I just like she's she's also the fleet admiral, so she's the head admiral, right? And I love her name because she's Fleet Admiral Sally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah, great. Different, <laughs> couple different titles for the 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 uh, head honcho of Starfleet, but uh, this is the new one as Fleet Admiral. Um, so he Picard heads out there, and pretty much so everyone is gathered. So everyone except for Soji. So we we have. Well, um, I think I think Soji has been written out of this season. Yeah, interesting, because she's she's on she's doing her goodwill tour for synthesoid life forms, and mm-hmm. and and. She when when Agnes leaves her on that planet, it's clear that she's going to be continuing to do her goodwill to her. So I think because she was really the MacGuffin for season one. Yeah. Right. And so she's played her role unless they unless they do more with the synthesoid business. There's no reason to have her in the story at this point. And so I think that scene was just to to let people know what happened with her and get her out, out of the way. So I think she's off the playing board. She I, might she might show up again. There might be, you know, since maybe. we're going to be dealing with alternate pasts and stuff like that. And with there, the Borg on the board, you know, you, you would, and synth- synthetic life forms, Borg, and the, all that stuff with Data, I could see, you know, with the Borg Queen and Data, I could see that. But I it, is think a, she's, it is surprising to me because I thought I'd heard that she was going to be in this season, which would imply more might, than just a cameo. But yeah, she she might be one of these where she's you know in three or four episodes of the season, but I I I, I do agree though that she's not going to be a, a significant character mm-hmm. in this season. So uh, then we find out that uh, Starfleet has done a really really dumb thing, 
which mm-hmm. is to incorporate Borg, Borg tech into yeah. their all their starships, which is the <laughs> hack. They the Borg use that to hack into the ships. Well, yeah. it's in, they've installed it on the Rio, so I don't think they have installed it on everything. At least the, I didn't the start, get that. They, they, yeah, they, they said they, the Stargazer was the, the first one. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they said the Stargazer was the first to have the Borg, the technology implanted. Okay. So they, but the, the Borg Queen uses that tech to take control of the rest of the fleet that has gathered to, to oppose get, it. Start getting the access codes to do that. Yes. Yep. Okay. So, um, so when Lacutius responds, sorry, when Picard responds, <laughs> the Borg <laughs> ship comes no. through. It, he's he's more he's more rope he's more machine than man now, literally, <laughs> yeah, literally. So it's interesting to me that the Borg are using a spa- space time anomaly, not a transwarp conduit. That was the established in Voyager as the standard way that the Borg move throughout the galaxy. But this is a space-time anomaly, which implies that they're traveling through space and time, and not time, just yeah. space. So something else is going on. Yeah. And one thing that they – so they have a discussion um, about the Borg. And in season one, they had introduced this Borg anomaly cube mm-hmm. that was like out of business and mm-hmm. floating in space in Romulan territory. And the Federation was cautiously, and the Romulans and Klingons were cautiously exploiting it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in from what they discuss here, it sounds like there's been some kind of Borg empire-wide disaster mm-hmm. that has harmed not just a single cube, but everything. And the right. Borg are now in a very disadvantaged situation, um, which, uh, which you know, they talk about the significance of that. It's like, could that cause them to to want to join the Federation? Maybe they need our protection and or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're weakened, and maybe that's why they're they've shifted tactics. And Seven says the Borg consume, they assimilate, they do not ask to be assimilated. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is a great line, yeah. And 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 I actually kind of like seeing Seven in this role because she's essentially playing the wharf kill them all while we have the chance role, or the you know, Kirk kill them all, let them die well, in Star Trek Six. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it always like uh, in Next Gen, it's like okay, here's the point where Worf flies off the handle again. <laughs> yeah. But with Seven. And knowing where she's come from and, and and all the journey she's had from being Borg to identifying fully as human, um, but still being an outsider, it's like, no, this makes sense for her character to oh, have yeah. this perspective. Yeah. And so I didn't mind her being the hawk voice here instead of the dove voice. Yeah. You got Picard and Agnes on one side who think they, the Borg may be sincere. You get Seven on the other side. And you have Rios who's kind of on on Seven's side on this. He's yeah. he's more cautious than Gerardi mm-hmm. and Picard. And, and there, there and, was a little bit of, of irony, I guess would be a good word, is where she was upset because, as she put it, fear and prejudice against her because of her Borg past. And then as soon as the Borg comes up, it's like, just kill them all. <laughs> yeah, fear and yeah. prejudice against the Borg. What happened to fear and prejudice against the Borg? Yeah. Well... <laughs> 
reformed Borg yeah. Um, yeah. don't deserve it. But uh, actual Borg, you could argue, do. No, um, it's just, it was just yeah. it was it kind of struck me. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that was a, a bad choice in their writing or if that was intentional. But it, it just it, it it put like, well, don't prejudice against me, but they need to be prejudiced against. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Right. I, I like, um, you know, so when Agnes says, well, maybe they, their weaknesses caused them to shift tactics. Seven says, yes, deception in the absence of strength. This means the end of the Federation if you let them in. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And she's got a point. I mean, the the, mm-hmm. the Borg have used all kinds of tactics, and so it, it it's worthwhile being cautious. And so when the Borg Queen does come, despite them telling her not to, uh, they Forces have, her way through the shields. Yeah, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's an aggressive, violent act, and they respond in kind. Although, when she starts shooting the crew members, they note she's only stunning. She's not killing. Right. It, which is kind of is indicative maybe of, of that maybe mm-hmm. she's sincere I, I, she, yeah I, I i don't think this is simply a, another borg i think seven is wrong on this i think yeah. that where we're going is some kind of oh the humans and the borg can be friends oh the human <laughs> and the borg can be friends um because that's the starfleet thing gene roddenberry thing to do it, yeah it would be interesting if the Federation brings the Borg in because as we've seen in several Voyager episodes, including one that we'll be talking about later this summer after all the new uh, Star Trek is done, uh, that there is this uh, people who have been victims of the Borg do not easily let that go. And Mm -hmm. if the Federation has now absolved the Borg of their sins, that could be problematic. Yeah, it's not if they I I lack confidence that they would handle it well. What they should <laughs> what they should do is what Battlestar Galactica did, which was you've got the evil robots who want to kill us all, and then a fissure develops in evil robot society, and mm-hmm. some of the robots you end up merging. I mean, becoming part of your human society, mm-hmm. but others don't. Right, and right. that's what they should ideally do with the Borg. The collective um, splits that would be interesting. You, yeah. And that would and we've seen things like that before, like when Hugh uh, yep. was with that yep. rogue group of Borg and um, and having a having some Borg that are Federation members and still assimilated and other Borg members who are like seven who are part of the Federation and not assimilated and still other Borg who are assimilated and not part of the Federation that gives you kind of the ideal mix for story possibilities. Well, not to right. mention the the moral quandary that the Federation will be placed with is a lot of these Borg who are suddenly want to become part of the Federation will have been involuntarily assimilated. Yes, what is the exactly. morality of that? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 so that itself creates story possibilities mm. and chance for speech making and <laughs> and things like that. Yeah, some very good speech making by Picard, I think. Uh, so just as the Picard, we, he sets to self-destruct and just as about to self-destruct, the Borg Queen addresses Picard and tells him to look up, which is what his mother kept telling him when his right. childhood memories about look up and look at the stars. And this is where we kind of get we get the title of this episode, because the title is The Stargazer. Three words. Uh, right. what Not did just there? the ship. What's that? Well, yeah, I was going to say it's the dual meaning there of the ship and the, the Picard. Picard being the stargazer, the right. one who gazes at the stars. The one who looks to the stars. Um, and after after the ship blows up, he wakes in the conservator of the chateau. 
it's kind of like the mirror universe in the sense that the you know, mm-hmm. we see a portrait of Picard in a uniform that is definitely not a it's black. Regular, it's yeah, definitely not regular. And then there's a a synthetic who looks just like the synthetics that were in, on Mars building the starships from season one. Instead of instead of Laris. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, and the synth introduces himself when Picard asks as Harvey and Picard is like, where is Laris? And he says, Laris, that's a Romulan name. Would you like me to check the um, the immigrant registry for such a name? Right. Right. So clearly mm-hmm. she's not there. Uh, and that's when Q shows up looking at first, looking quite young, like. 40 some odd years ago, 35 years ago, um, they, they did a nice job of de-aging John Delancey. And for, then he for says, about 10 seconds. For about 10 seconds. And yep. then he says, oh, I, I need to catch up to you. Kind of like what Guinan says. And he makes himself look exactly like, well, not exactly, but very much like what Guinan says. So yep. since we know Q and Guinan have a prior relationship that isn't friendly, I want to see that explored. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I want to know more about that. And the fact they both had that line makes me about aging to keep up or, uh, or, or catch up in Q's case. Right. Um, that makes me that makes me think maybe they're going to do some more. And, and Guinan wasn't yeah. just a cameo. I saw mm-hmm. a uh, publicity photo of John Delancey in, in, in costume, all three of them, uh, Stuart and Whoopi Goldberg standing in 10 forward. So that could be. In uh, which ten be interesting. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry the 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 bar in Los Angeles in okay. the Los Ten Angeles. Ford Street. Yeah, the uh, it could have been just John Delancey was in costume and came on set or something like that. So it just doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen on screen, but it yeah. would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. So he shows by, up. By the way, yeah. uh, by the way, Harvey was played by Alex Deal, who played the Mars. Yes. Uh, since so yes. It, not just he look good, he was the same guy. Right, so. same guy. Um. And then this is when we get the line from Q, the trial, you know, the trial referring all the way back to Farpoint. The trial never ends. Welcome to the very end of the road not taken. Well, specifically, the trial never ends line was introduced in All Good Things. Yes. In the the series finale. So uh, and so and then we we've at the end of this episode, we get a. This season on Star Trek Picard season two, it looks like we're getting extended. time travel back to 2024 where the La Serena crew has to basically undo some change to the timeline that has pre- pre- uh, created this bad alternate future. So it, totalitarian yeah. future state. Yeah. So next episode, obviously we're going to spend a little time understanding the totalitarianism is bad. Yes. And <laughs> which frankly, I mean, we need to have an experience of whatever the state is they're living in mm-hmm. uh, in order to dramatically justify the change for the audience. And mm-hmm. then they go back in time. And I, and this creates a question about the overall structure of the season. Cause we've got what, like 10 episodes in it at most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm and we've got a ton of stuff on the table here. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and if I don't want to see them spend the next eight episodes in 2024. You know, that is not what I'm here for. And then come back and do a quickie job resolving the Borg want to join the Federation thing. Um, I'm hoping they it, uh, that's the easy sloppy thing to do. Um, but I'm hoping they don't do that. I'm hoping that this this there may be more than one time jump in this. Mm-hmm. But if I'm hoping that this 
2024 time jump is not going to last the for most of the season. I'm hoping it's going to be fairly quick, quickly dealt episode, with. Episode two and move on to the next time period. Or it would something. be nice. I mean, they they make it look like that's the season, but they could be they could do anything there and to kind of re, you know misdirect. Yeah. It, um, it could be like a three or a two or three episode arc. That then leads mm-hmm. into the next arc, but I don't want to be stuck yeah. in 2024 for most of the season. Right. Cause that's not, no. that doesn't feel like Star Trek. I, frankly, I always felt like the, the episodes I didn't really love were the ones where they went back to 20th century earth America or 21st, like in that deep yeah. space nine, Gabriel bell, two parter. Yep. I just, that's the, yep. one of the, to my mind, one of the least interesting or the, um, yeah. The Voyager one that was a less yeah time worse. times in yep. or whatever it was yeah yeah with with uh, what's his name who rides the bicycle <laughs> right oh, yeah <laughs> Ed Begley Ed Begley yeah him yeah uh, yep. yeah and uh, yeah that was th- those are not my favorite ones the so most I'm... boyish supervillain ever <laughs> yeah, Sarah Silverman was that one that that's very strange yeah uh, yeah not my favorite episodes. So, all right. So, but that brings us to the end of that, this episode. Any final notes, Father Corey? So on, on the, the wall of, of Guinan's bar was Arcanus Lager, which was also on the bar that Dr. McCoy went to in search for Spock. Ah. So that's what Dr. McCoy would drink, apparently, when he was at the bar. Nice. This nice. is Arcanus Lager. Excellent. Jimmy, any final notes? Um, yeah. So... This episode has resonances of some previous Next Gen episodes, Um, really three of them. One is Yesterday's Enterprise, where we had this Mm -hmm. dark version of the Federation and where they were losing a war to Klingons. And at the at the end, um, Q even name drops that talking Mm -hmm. about something being, oh, that's so Yesterday's Enterprise. Right. Um, and, that. and then there's the episode Deja Q where he loses his powers and has the confrontation with Guinan and she stabs his hand with a fork. Yep. Um, and, and so I'm I, it, it, having Guinan and Q both together in this, even though they haven't shared a <laughs> scene yet, I think we're, we, we may play with some of that, but the big one is the episode tapestry where Kirk dies and wakes up in the afterlife and Q is there and Picard. he pl- yeah. Picard yeah. is yeah. there and he plays It's a Wonderful Life with him and shows him what would have happened if he hadn't gotten stabbed in the heart by Nausicans. And mm-hmm. so now we're doing the same thing. This is OK. Q, uh, Picard dies in the explosion. He wakes up. Q is there. And, oh, we're doing It's a Wonderful Life again. Only this time you're in a fascist state and this was some other road that you didn't take. Yeah, it is interesting that they're revisiting that. And we and that, when it was fu- first announced that Q would be here, it would be a time travel season. I think a lot of people expressed some reservations about doing that again. And can you make that as interesting? Well, I don't. I mean, in, they've got ten episodes or whatever. You can make that interesting. Um, it, it'll it'll it remains to be seen whether they will or to what extent they will mm-hmm. um, on balance. I enjoyed this episode, but it was basically a lot of setup. And yeah. so um, it's, there's lots of checking in on, Oh, where's this character now? What are they doing? And yeah. And it's other than that, it's actually pretty simple, but if they, mm-hmm. they have the potential at now that we've got past all the setup to do something really interesting. I just don't know that they will because I'm not a fan mm-hmm. of spending a lot of time in 2024. 
Same here. Same here. Right. All right. We d- I did mention we have some uh, listener feedback that we wanted to share. And so our first bit of feedback comes from Trey, who sent via email, who says, uh, I started listening to Secrets of Star Trek about a year ago and finally got caught up. I've been really enjoying the podcast. Star Trek has been one of the few big nerd franchises I never really got into. I tried watching a few TOS and TNG episodes I caught on TV a while back, but fell asleep and haven't tried again. I was wondering if you could recommend an episode from any series for me to watch and try the franchise out a second time. Anyway, it's time for me to move on and start listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, which coincidentally is the other big franchise I never got into. This is interesting because whereas I've given conscious thought to what episodes of Doctor Who to use as introductions to the series, Mm -hmm. I haven't really done that with Star Trek, but um, it it sort of depends on the era that you would like Mm -hmm. to to hear about. I mean, I would say... Um, good starting points. Now, the best series is Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it takes a few seasons to really get rolling on that. Yeah, um, in, and it's hard to just jump into the it, middle of the big it, arc. Correct, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I would suggest starting either with the original series or with um, with Next Generation. And in the original series, the thing that stands out to me as a possible good introduction is Best of Both Worlds, Parts 1 and 2. Mm. Um, you already kind of need to know who the That's Borg TNG, are. Right? It's TNG, yes. Yeah. Um, um, is that not what I said? You said the original series. That's okay. No, I said that or Next Gen. Okay. And, and the right. thing, and maybe I misspoke, but the thing that yes, stands out to yep. me in Next Gen yep. is Best of Both Worlds, Parts 1 and 2. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. It's as... it it. Frankly, it's as good as any of the movies um, or real close to being as good as any. (laughs) Maybe better. It's certainly better than some of the movies. Um, You do need to know who the Borg are um, for that. But if you've been listening to every episode of this podcast, you'll know who the Borg are. That shouldn't be a problem. Um, But that strikes me as a good jumping on point. Also, there are individual series, uh, individual episodes of Next Gen that are um that are that I think are very good they tend to be in seasons 4 through 7 and mm-hmm. I tend to like the twilight zone episodes of uh, of of next gen like there's one called remember me that mm-hmm. is a beverly crusher centric episode and 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 it's a very twilight zone style episode and mm-hmm. I like that um but uh, in terms of the original series, um, if, if I were to, to oh yeah. oh the uh, the um, it's what's the one where they introduce the Romulans for the first time? That's balance essentially of terror. balance that's of terror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, balance of terror is a good one. Um, a muck time is mm-hmm. is a good one. Um, that gives and, you a lot about the Vulcans. That's, oh, that's yeah. Cool. yeah yeah yeah. And the uh, the balance of terror one is kind of it's like silent running in space. It's like a space submarine mm-hmm. movie. I mean, a lot of people love the city on the edge of forever, but it is a time yes. travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really it's a it's a excellent story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the thing with TOS is if you are if you if your tastes run toward classic sci-fi TV, so it's a very much a 1960s television show. So you have to mm-hmm. be willing to enjoy that sort of pace and the style. And if if you're okay with that, it's it's very it's a very good example of that uh, mm-hmm. era of you TV. know. And, and one thing I, I I actually would recommend with TOS, of course, you know, having not seen all of TOS, but 
Actually, Wrath of Khan would be a good introduction to the TOS oh, characters. Space Seed. Yeah, yeah Space Seed the movie. is the Space Seed, Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm actually thinking the movie, um, partially because that was my exposure right. to the TOS mm-hmm. crew was through the movies. Um, a, a good thing to do then might be to watch Space Seed, which is the episode where they introduce the Khan character and then watch Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Yeah. That would yeah, be. Yeah, I think that would actually, I think that would be a very, very good way to, uh, to kind of get to know the TOS characters. Mm-hmm. And get, kind of get a feel for the series. So yeah. also it, bringing the movies into it, um, Star Trek four and Star Trek six are also mm-hmm. really good. Star Trek four, the search for whales is, <laughs> is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then Star Trek six, um, where the discovered country, yeah. Undiscovered country where yeah. the, where the Berlin wall comes down in space is really mm-hmm. good. Yes. Yep. I have to say though, Trey, it's I'm I'm fascinated that you've listened to all of our nearly two hundred episodes yeah. and, and have never watched it. Like I'm I'm kind of curious what the experience of listening to us talk about shows you've never watched uh is like. Yeah. That is that is fa- a fascinating dedication to the podcast. And, and if, if you do decide to to go back and watch some of these to you yeah. know tell it let, let you know let us know what you think mm-hmm. we said about this that you agree or disagree with on that particular yeah. episode or movie. So yeah, definitely send us your feedback on your experience after having watched any of this. We re- I really want to hear, hear you. Uh, we do have another piece of feedback. This is on our recent episode on the Squire of Gothos, which was a first a TOS episode. Uh, Paul Leone wrote on YouTube. I love the more out there episodes of TOS, and this is no exception. Such a fun story. The Peter David book you mentioned Q squared was pretty good. If I recall correctly, although I admit it's been a long time since I've read it. Um, yeah, it, it, if I read that, it's been a lot, I don't even remember the, I, the did I, that one come out like in the nineties or something like 1994, that. 1994. I mean, so I love okay, Peter David's Star Trek novels. I mean, he has some great novels, including, um, ones involving a, an original crew that he created, uh, you know, in a different ship. Uh, but and he's got a great sense of humor. And so he writes Q who is a funny character very well. Um, so it, it looks interesting. It, it's got a couple of different timelines that it tracks and that sort of thing, um, which is almost kind of like what we're talking about with this season of Picard. So um, mm-hmm. it uh, would be interesting. I'm more familiar with Peter David uh, from the comics uh, that he's written, mm-hmm. but I have read a few. He wrote a few novels for, in the Babylon 5 series, which are all canonical. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all based on outlines from Joe Straczynski about this is what would happen to these characters later. Right. And, and there are some funny moments in that, um, in, um, you know, one of the races that are allies with the shadows that emerges towards the end of the Babylon five TV show is the Drock. Mm-hmm. And, um, and at one point, uh, Michael Garibaldi is in, in one of the Peter David novels is, uh, like, the Drock are looking for him and I forget they open a cabinet or a closet or something. And Garibaldi pop, pops out holding a pistol and says, what's up Drock? Which, <laughs> oh. which ties into Garibaldi's fondness for old Warner brothers cartoons. Yeah. Yep. And then after Alfred Bester is finally dead, um, Garibaldi goes to Bester's grave and shoves a wooden stake into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so thank you both for your feedback we love getting feedback from listeners and you can send feedback to trek at sqpn.com uh, 
So before we wrap up, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Doyle and Dan A, John S, Rebecca S, Gabe S, and James S. All the S's. Uh, none of them are related. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So we would love to hear what you thought of the first this first season episode. Uh, I'm sorry, this premiere episode of the second season of Picard called The Stargazer. You can comment on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquest media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Picard, which it looks like is called Penance. So, or reconciliation, if you're uh, that inclined to, uh, with, uh, as if, if you're watching it post Vatican II. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, seize today, for none of our tomorrows are guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs>